In a world overrun with an infinite amount of multiverses, originating from a plethora of sources, four longtime friends band together to try to make sense of it all and present it to an audience in an easy-to-digest podcast. This is Geeking Off the Page. Greetings, nerds. My name's Gavin. And I've got nothing witty to say. Oh, Lord, Kev. Hey, everybody, this is Trevor, and I'm really, really tired, but I'm still here. So, damn it, you have to be here, too. Hey, my name's Troy, and uh, before we get started, does anyone want to get out? And I'm Mike Kitchen, and I still haven't seen Spider-Man. I would if I could, but I can't, so I won't. Welcome to Geeking Off the Page. This is a podcast where four old friends from college talk about all the sort of nerd stuff that your wives don't want to hear. Take it away, Troy. All right. Thank you, Mr. Uh, Michael. Uh, yes, this is episode 32 of our podcast. Uh, this is uh, being recorded uh, for Prosperity uh, is going to be recorded on December 18th, and it's going to be released on the 20th, and uh, it is going to be of the year 2021. So for those future historians that are listening back to that, that's what was happening at uh, this time in the geek sphere. So as Michael also said, <laughs> like as Michael said as well, uh, this is uh, just a gathering of like minds that have been doing this sort of thing over the years. And we're now doing it in a podcast video form and whatnot. And uh, so we're just going to talk about a bunch of stuff. We got some uh, news articles coming up and uh, some other stuff that we're going to talk about that's more personal to us and all that. So to begin with, as uh, Michael, oh, actually again, Michael again, thank you for pointing out that... Uh, we are going to be uh, skipping uh, the speaking, uh, the talking about and the discussing of uh, Spider-Man uh, No Way Home. It was just released this uh, past Friday, uh, the 17th of uh, December, 2021. And um, well, normally we are a spoiler cast. We will spoil almost anything. And we do give the warning that, yes, we are going to spoil stuff. But we believe that... Um, a couple of us in the podcast haven't gotten around to seeing the movie yet. And we believe as a whole that this is a particular movie that is very important to see without any sort of spoilers. There are other movies. You could spoil the heck out of it. You're still going to enjoy it. Um, this is a movie that we believe before we even saw the movie that we weren't going to want to see spoilers. So we are staying away from talking about the movie. This is all we are going to talk about the movie. We are actually going to try and avoid talking about the movie in other uh, articles that are coming up in uh, later on in the podcast. So if you are here to ha hear us talk about uh, Spider-Man uh, No Way Home spoilers, you're going to have to wait. We'll come with the, up that in the future. Pretty sure there's a lot that we have to talk about. We actually might make it a separate episode onto its own once we... Uh, now culminate as a group of four after all of us have seen the movie. So you'll have to wait for that. So moving on to our next article, we're going to talk about some Disney Plus TV series uh, prospects coming up. And now, um, while the idea of this, um, the, the sorry, the thought of this particular uh, article is uh, quite interesting. And what it is, is there's going to be a Goonies inspired Disney Plus TV series. Now, when uh, I brought this up and all that sort of thing, I thought, hey, let's talk about this sort of thing. Then I went into the article and it turns out, so what this is going to be is this is going to be a series that is based on a story idea where a teacher comes to a small town to help 
these kids reshoot shot for shot the original Goonies. And it's going to be an ongoing series. So it's going to be a reality-based sort of... I mean, it seems a lot more complicated and all that. It, I mean, sure. And in some ways, I left out the part about it. And in some ways, this whole entire community coming together to recreate shot for shot Goonies, it unites the town back together and builds up everyone's moral spirits and all that sort of thing. And um, yeah, again, it's it's sort of like, it's it sounds like it's going to be like Invasion USA, that Shatner sort of uh, TNT series that uh, where they were bringing the, uh, the science fiction movie to the small town. And then they were all just goofing on the town that they weren't going to make it. And halfway through the shoot, William Shatner thought, no, we can't do that to these people. They, they're a little too invested in this. We have to admit to them that this was all going to be a joke sort of thing. So the series didn't come to fruition sort of thing. But um, hey, if it works, it works. But I don't know if I'm going to be interested in this sort of story. I mean, it would have been cool if it were like a continuing story or a... Like they did with Cobra Kai. Next like generation, exactly. The next no continue generation, on new Goonies or something like no, that. Yeah, like the old characters are now parents yeah. and their kids are on adventures. Exactly, There's a yeah. way to do it. This is I kind of wanted to see when when I first heard of this, I was like, ooh, kind of like exactly Cobra Kai. So all the kids are yeah. grown up. They have their kids. We see what happened to the town after the discovery of One Eye Willie's treasure and all that. Yep. How it changed the town and you know who ended up getting the bulk of the treasure and all that sort of stuff and where they are now and you could even put you know the, the town is in another sort of crisis and these kids are the new, next generation of goonies you could even do this as a series mm-hmm. you know do it a series on disney plus 10 episodes whatever i would have probably watched the hell out of it for sure this no i'm i when i read the article it's just my my interest just started to yeah and then yeah. hit rock bottom like i'm not gonna watch this yeah. yeah this kind of stuff is a real hard sell now who it's, knows they may pull off a miracle and it's the greatest thing ever but it's just the it's, thing it's just, but you're cashing in on the an, an old movie to try to sell a, a lame idea yeah and the fact that you're going to see these people trying re reenacting scenes from the movie i mean i don't think that's really i mean okay now if you're going to show us the movie of these kids reenacting goonies i will go see that i will watch that that would be fun but them going through the process of making it as a series i don't know if it's got enough legs that i'm again like you said mike it could be something that you start watching like okay this is good this is intriguing i like how they're doing this i mean yeah, it just sounds like they're not like I, I just no. and again, I don't is... even think I'm going to watch the first episode to see what it's like. I'll wait for someone else to watch and give me some opinions and a recommendation yeah. or two. Yeah, but again, it's still early in the process. It There's no actual air date schedule and all that sort of thing right now. It's in a pre-production sequence, I believe, but you never know. Again, Honestly, never what know. is Corey Feldman doing these days? Sean Aston. I'm sure you could get a lot of them coming. The only one would be the hardest one to get would be Josh Brolin. Or um, uh, Chunk, now that yeah. he's an a entertainment lawyer, no longer yeah. an actor. So. I mean, those could be, I mean, he, you, you could even say, oh, he went on to become an entertainment lawyer, doesn't no longer lives in the town. Yeah, there exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. for sure. For Stuff sure. like that. But yeah. yeah, you could grab enough of the original actors to, to make it plausible and, and march forward. Mm-hmm. All right, so we got a little bit of Star Wars uh, 
news coming up and all that. And we have a couple of things to go along with the uh, Galactic Star Cruiser. So to oh, begin Lord. with, we got uh, the release of the welcoming video for the uh, Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. So what happens is if you've uh, set up, um, if you've, you've paid for your whole entire um, two-night stay on this uh fantastic little vacation away um and a cheap one at that yeah you get this very 80s vhs sort of style welcoming video telling you what you're going to experience now of course it's it's kind of neat it's very very retro looking we've got like star tours it definitely is well that's the idea it is supposed to have the feel of star tours it's supposed to be something that's been around since that that era since Star Tours was, I still think was that's that a terrible idea. It it totally is. I mean, um, I don't know if it was uh, me or not, but the dub even seemed to be off on this uh, woman's uh, voice and all that. Um, a lot of it seemed to be off. Yeah. Um, it. I mean, okay. I get the idea that you're you're trying to be whimsical and all that sort of thing and harken back to. But yeah, I'm I'm sorry. It it if you're your storyline takes place in the most modern period of Star Wars. You've got this is before um, this is the, the 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 sequel saga Star Wars. Your technology should not look this crappy. Your VHS version of this should not be this bad. This should look like a hollow vid or something like this. This should be some sort of it should match the universe that it's supposed to come from, not a universe it used to exist in. Well, I, I also look at this. If I was to to stay on this Galactic Star, Star Cruiser for five fucking grand a night, yeah. it's not like they're. It's not like Disney's hurting so hurting for cash. This should have looked like a goddamn feature film in it quality. Should have. Yeah, exactly. That was that it was going to be my next point. Into believing that yeah. we are on. A galactic star cruiser somewhere in the heavens above and it shouldn't be a purple girl with triangles on her head yeah like, it, it should just... be harrison ford giving the thing you know like or it should be some out. sort of overly done makeup it should be some yeah. sort of prosthetic or some sort of animatronic uh creature not just a a woman no offense to this woman this woman i'm sure fabulous. no i do find this very offensive <laughs> maybe not the person but this character she's playing is very this offensive playing, this is yeah, what yeah. i expected someone to do was a riff on whatever disney released yes, yes. exactly yes. this is what i expected as a joke like hey hey we made our own this, this is, is a fun. reaction this is a if reaction this was video. Spaceballs, the cruise i'd be all for it yeah this would have fit that would be yes this would be perfect for space this Balls, was the cruise someone should get mel brooks on the on the line yeah, so so things is like when that only cost 500 bucks the Star Wars Galactic yeah, Star exactly. Cruiser. I looked it yeah. up, like looked up the pricing and, and yep. how much it would cost for my family and I to go for, because again, you can only go for a maximum of two nights. Yep. That's all you're allowed. Yeah. Maximum two nights. I have a feeling that's going to be quickly dropped with the, the number of people canceling their reservations after seeing this, this travesty. Cause they're like, if this is the, the level of quality that, that they're to expect. This is not boding well. Well, like, I also I also highly doubt this is going to be the quality that it's going to be. No, but this it's, is going it's, to be the. But I think it is that a they misstep. release is the reflection on, yeah. 
I mean, because no one stayed there yet. No. So anything they release has to be like a pristine fucking reflection so that people want to come. This mm-hmm. does not make me want to go no. in any no. way, shape or form. Even if I had like the cash in my pocket right now to just burning a hole like, oh, what can I do for tonight? I would go somewhere else than go here just based off this video. I think if they paid me to, I wouldn't want to go. It was just, it was, <laughs> it was insulting. And again, yeah, this was, they're like, oh, we're trying to take a riff on Star Tours. Look at when Star Tours came out. Things have advanced since then. Yeah. Show us. Exactly. You know, Star Tours us. was actually fun. I actually enjoyed yeah. Star Tours. It, it was, it was fun. Oh, but yeah. yeah so sure. they say like, oh, you can play box. Show the casino. Show the Jedi simulator. Not just this. Show- computer generated yeah show yeah. like people walking along the grand concourse with like the 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 star field the interactive star field that is supposed to like you know have parallax shift like show us all these big features that are gonna be like oh shit i want to go there i want to see this in person yeah exactly yeah this yeah. does not make me want to go see yeah. it in person this yeah. is like yeah. tell you what I'll, I'll save eight grand and stay off park and do other things exactly yeah did you guys ever see some person got, I think it's Doug Chang. Is he the uh, main artist yep. for yeah, Phantom Menace? Yep. Where they wanted to do an entertainment room in their house. So they hired him to create a Star Wars theme. And they actually built it. So, And it's one of the most phenomenal things. Um, I don't know. Maybe someone can pull up an image. But that's incredible. Like, that's all I would want from this, you know, galactic cruise. Like, Give me something that looks like Star Wars that's yeah. inspired by the art from the actual yeah. movie. And like with the amount of money, like Trevor is saying that you're spending on this cruise, you could build a room in your house that serves the same purpose and just live there forever. Like, And crazy. again, with the amount of money that, first of all, they've spent on this and the amount of money it's going to cost to go here, being this the first sort of promotional, actual physical thing that we've seen from this, it's very very disappointing to have this low quality red dwarf feeling sort of look to it it's just what do you have there trevor oh here we go we got something that's the one yeah this is the the home theater he had designed by doug chang holy it feels like you're in a ship wow like this looks incredible and it looks Star Wars. You look at the architecture, you look at the seats, like yeah. the droids, Han Solo and Carbonite there in the corner. Like yeah, everything this... there is what I would want from this. So if I was going to, to this Galactic Star Tours or was thinking of it, I want to see if they're going to show me like a little promo video to, to, to whet my appetite and be like, hmm, pull out the credit card and let's go. I want to see stuff like this. I want to. Yes. I, I don't want to see what looks like crappy VHS video of a purple girl struggling with her iPhone. It just. That's right. It did look like an oversized iPhone that she was working off of. Which yeah. So again, it's, it's, is not, it doesn't even look like the proper technology for Star Wars of the era that this is supposed to be taking place in. Yeah. So it's. it's, it's and yeah, it looks like an iPhone with a white case on it, mm-hmm. like a white otter box around it. That's and right. That's it right. just. It's like what was the what was the production budget on this video? Like, hundred bucks, two hundred bucks. It probably was. It was probably. You know really you have expensive. deep fucking pockets. Yeah, yeah. She's on a green screen. I mean, you can yeah, tell she's standing totally in front of the green screen. And again, so I think they, they, they were going actress, for the. I think they were going for the look of an '80s sort of yeah. promo so they, thing. They, they didn't even again, build a set for her to to physically interact with. Yeah. 
So yeah, yeah, that's why I was just so disappointed when I saw this. I was like, if whatever desire I had to go to the, to the Galactic Star, Star Cruiser is gone. It really is. Because if this is the, the level of commitment they have to, the, to their potential consumers, then I can keep my money. Yeah, They don't need it. Look, I... I want to do this. I mean, this looks fantastic. I mean, but it's physically, physically impossible to do just because it's so damn expensive. There is no way. And one of the results of that is that there are a lot of people that as soon as it was announced that you could put in a reservation to get a a date for this and all that before you had to put any money down, like thousands and thousands of people signed up. There was, a, there was like a three-year waiting list. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, exactly. There is no opening between when it opens and three years later sort of thing. Um, but people have been dropping the reservations just because of the five to six grand a night that they're expected to pay per person. Well, as I said, you, when I... When, when that then when they released their price list i was like yeah. all right let's let's see how much it'll cost for my family so we, we needed a suite with a minimum of two bedrooms right three would be ideal for the two nights and it was like over 12 grand yeah do you and know I'm how like, much fun you could have in vegas for 12 grand anywhere for 12 grand It'd be a hell of a lot more than two days yeah, that's for and, sure. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, I look at some of the comments, the video on YouTube, like someone's like, man, I'm, you know, can't wait to when this comes out in 1984. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, again, there's, there's no doubt that obviously in five, 10 years from now, the price will definitely come down. I'm pretty sure it will have to, but then I again, Disney, with inflation. Yeah, again, I, I again, honestly, I think with the reaction people have to this video, yeah. if Disney's smart, they are right now working yeah. on a new one that is high, much higher production values. Oh, yeah. Reveals more. You'll of what see you a walkthrough. You'll see a walkthrough of sequences. Like the experience yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. John Favreau's already on it. Yeah. Like, yeah oh, guys, sure. And if they're smart, they're going to have it out before Christmas. That way, because the thing is, otherwise, by after Christmas, if they haven't said a single peep, more and more people are going to be dumping the reservations. You get enough people dumping the reservations, they're going to have to lower the price to get people to stay. I mean, they're not going to drop up by enough for any of us to be able to oh, afford no, to go. not anytime yeah. soon. Yeah. I mean, the only place I can think of off the top of my head near, like, that, that would be like a, a room of that lavishness would be, uh, you guys know the, uh, in the Bahamas, the Atlantis Resort. Yes, oh, yeah. yeah, Atlantis, yeah, the giant yeah. slide that you go. Well, the things they have, it's like the two towers of hotels, and then they have the bridge chaining, like like connecting the two. In the center of the bridge is an apartment, is, is basically a, a room you can rent for twenty five grand a night. But we're talking like a, you know, multi suite room, you know, twenty four hour concierge, like personal concierge service, personal chef, all that sort of stuff. So you're paying for an experience for six grand a night. I expect a little bit more than, hey, come play Savak. Hey, you want to train with a lightsaber? Ooh, you might be a, you might be a rebel spy. Sorry, Ooh. resistance spy. And the thing is, is they're they're saying, well, it's, you know, in the, the Jedi training, it's it's the collapsible sword, the motorized collapsible, but you don't even get to keep it. Wait, what? Yeah, you don't keep the the, the collapsing sword. You just get to play with it I'm with a set of VR goggles. I'm on. paying six grand. I don't get to keep my own lightsaber. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, you get to visit Batu. That's, I guess, a good thing. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. People but keep again, dropping it's... out instead of being the space cruiser. It'll be just a bunch of little escape pods. Considering <laughs> it'll be like those little Japanese stay... coffin rooms. Yeah, it's it's just. Yeah. I mean, because this is really not much different than any of the other, you know, hotels on site that uh, Disney has. Yeah, because some of those are just an experience on their own, which is fantastic. I mean, anyways, um, so yeah, so we're hoping that, um, you know what, Disney do better. <laughs> do, do much. Well, to give you an idea, the 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 their big one of their big ones, the Grand Floridian, where you're paying anywhere between what is it, anywhere between four hundred a night for the low end up to a grand a night. But you can stay there for, for as long as you want, as long as you can pay the cash. This is five times, in their mind, five times the experience for five times the cash. You only get to stay there for two nights. I, I just, I don't see the... They're trying to make it exclusive, but it's not an exclusive enough of an experience to, to, to warrant it. Because again, the people who would enjoy it and get the full effect out of it, not going to be able to afford it. Yeah, no. To, to and I, I would, I would definitely say, I'm pretty sure the four of us would be on that list. I mean, yeah. All that yeah. said, Disney, if you would like to change our minds, you know, feel free to give us a tour on your Galactic Star Cruiser, and uh, you know, yeah, if you want to treat us to a preview us. sort of thing, if you want to treat yeah. us to a preview, uh, yeah, that that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I mean. So I'm just throwing that out there. To sure, I have to bring my yeah. GoPro with the with, with the mic set up and wander around. That sounds like a. That, yeah, it sounds like a, like a good idea there, uh, Disney. Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll help you out. We'll help you out with your promotional. So, all right. So moving on to that, um, we got a little something that uh, after uh, we stopped recording uh, last uh, week's episode, we uh, came up with uh, some interesting things and. Um, we're going to go back to talking about Mega Man, this uh, proposed uh, Netflix uh, live action series and all that. And um, while I myself am not very uh, up on the actual characters, I am aware of the actors that we're talking about. But um, guys, let's uh, dream. Uh, let's uh, let's let's make our own uh, Dreamcast for uh, Mega Man. So uh, why don't someone else uh, start off with uh, an idea? Because what we had figured is um, that it's going to it's not going to feel like Mega Man, if they have a, what we are going to say, an average size actor portraying the character of Mega Man. We know that he has to be on the shorter diminutive size. That also means that a lot of your other characters are going to be on the equal scale of all that. So I believe some of the names that we threw out were... I'll go into it just through my thought process because yes. I yeah, have yeah. an animator brain a and a comic yes. book maker yes. brain. So yeah. my brain works very slow. So sometimes it takes about 16 hours to come up with an idea that's actually usable. So after doing last week's podcast, I thought, oh, I have an idea. Like the only way this works, like Troy said, the different scale doesn't work. You can't go the battle angel, Alita, brute. You can't do a CG Mega Man with human actors. You can't have the different scale. So much of the essence of Mega Man is rooted in that original game. So you have to try and keep it consistent. So I thought, okay, Mega Man looks like a child. So you would need to have an actor that would 
look like that. So I started looking for cosplay and sure enough, there's little kids in Mega Man costumes that are spot on. So if you could get a charismatic actor and suit him up, you could have a correct Mega Man that is authentic to the video game. And now as far as the scale thing goes, you would want Dr. Light and Dr. Wily to not be too much bigger than the Mega Man character. And so I was thinking Danny DeVito as Dr. Light would be great. So he fits the scale of the Mega Man character. He's a great actor, and I think he could totally pull off Dr. Light. So Dr. Wily, that was one that was a little bit more tricky because, you know, you need to, again, keep the scale similar, but someone with the acting chops that can pull off that maniacal villain. It's got to be completely over the top. And Warwick Davis, and he looks like the character. You just put a mustache on him, give him the wild hair, have him floating around in, you know, the high-tech spaceships. That would be really fun. And then you start going over to the other creations of Dr. Wily, the evil robots. And yeah, so you like you can... Peter Dinklage? Peter Dinklage. Right, and like even looking at him with the Lannister outfit, he could easily be any of the wily villains, whether it be Cutman or Bomb Man. Um, I was thinking even Jason Alexander, he'd be a great gutsman because he would be bigger than most of the other actors. Um, so you put him in the full robotic suit with the big jaw. But like if you look at all the original Mega Man characters, and you could no, either get shorter actors or even child actors, suit them up and get them playing that role. And I think you could actually have a decent Mega Man cast. So that's where my brain was going. And then, of course, the backgrounds would have to be like the level designs that you see in the original game with all the crazy uh, futuristic towers and the trees with robots built in them and mechanical rabbits and everything else that happens in the Mega Man universe. So that was my genius idea. Did you guys have any thoughts on that? Well, you were the one that was actually spearheading this and all that. And I really, I, I wholeheartedly support your choices because um, I, again, like I said, I didn't know much about it. And I had to go in when you mentioned like, like the Danny DeVito, I had to look up the character that you were talking about and all that. I'm like, okay, I could see where that would work and all that. And again, we have to start off with the proper person playing like Mega Man. I mean, we have to get the right. Now, I don't think, again, I don't think a kid is going to work as this because I believe, well, I'm not 100% sure. Is Mega Man supposed to be a younger character or is like how old is Mega Man supposed to be? At, at the least voice the very, is a very young voice in the video. Does, yeah, he's, he's, yes, he's, that's he's, what I remember. Yes. Yeah, like an early, like youngish robot in terms of like a young for a robot sort of thing. Um, you know, has almost like a childlike innocence. But not um, quite an Astro Boy? Not quite an Astro Boy, but pretty pretty close. Okay, all right. Um, that's why I think this whole series just should have just gone the CG route and be done. Um, because then you can get characters in the right proportion. Yeah, for the sure. The right look. Yeah. And then it's just, it. then the real trick is securing the voice talent that fits the characters. Yeah, and again, 
it's the stumbling block that we all had when we were talking about the article is doing this as a live action. It doesn't, I don't think. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the characters initially were drawn, like Mega Man's like three heads tall. Like I think the original 8-bit, he was two and a half heads tall. Like he's, the, the proportions are part of the, what makes the, the character so iconic. Yeah. When you stick a, a human proportion person in a Mega Man costume, it just looks painfully dumb. Like painfully dumb. Yeah, so. it definitely does. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're going to move on uh, from that. We're going to now talk about. So we are going to uh, right now uh, fix a little mistake. Uh, we uh, inadvertently last week uh, left out a little uh, something that we were all kind of excited. Just a tiny little thing. We were actually kind of excited to talk about, but it was just so late that the recording we did and all that. And um we forgot to talk about, so we're going to double up on the episodes, and we're going to talk about uh, episode four and episode five of Disney Plus's Hawkeye. So, um, again, we're now at the penultimate uh, point, but uh, we're going to start off with a number four, episode four, which uh, starts off with um, uh, Hawkeye being held at sword, sword point, which um, is a fantastic cliffhanger to end on, knowing uh, what we know about the, what the character, what, jack the character might actually be in the comic books who he actually is and who he might be in here and how he might be a bad guy how he might not be a bad guy sort of thing he might be um, the swordsman he might be the swordsman you know in the comic books the swordsman. swordsman is the guy who taught hawkeye how to use swords and all that sort of thing in the circus and all that but uh, yeah so it was fantastic um the opening line of why is there an avenger in my dining room you're 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 the archer Hawkeye, uh, Clint, it's just, that is a beautiful way to start off the episode. I mean, it's just a fantastic way. Um, so um, we find out uh, more about uh, the, 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 oh, what I'm, I'm blanking on episode four because it's been a week since I seen it and I didn't get to see a refresh. Someone else helped me out on this. Trevor, give us a little synopsis of what episode four was about. All right. So episode four primarily is, uh, Clint trying to convince Kate that she's not a hero. This is not the life for her. Um, partially because her mother came to Clint as he was leaving and said, you know, there are things you can lose in this line of work. I'm sure you've lost things. And Clint says nothing, but he says that, you know, he's telling Kate to, to stay away. And um, so Barton looks, he, he starts to look for, uh, Kazi, who is Maya's secondhand, you know, right-hand guy, and basically makes a deal of, you know, Maya's going to get people killed in her unrelenting vengeance for Ronan. So um, at this point, there's this whole thing of the watch that was from the Avengers compound. We didn't know what it was about. Um, there's a, a phone call between uh, Barton and his wife about it. And at one point they slipped to German to try to hide what, you know, from the kids, what's going on. They have to retrieve the watch. We don't know what's special about the watch. Um, and Kate shows up and says to Barton when he's surveilling where he knows the watch is because the locator has been activated. It's like the watch is in that apartment. She's like, I'll go get it. And she goes in and there's like, you know, strobe lights. So she like fires two quick little goop arrows and she finds the watch. She also finds a notebook that talks about, you know, Barton's family kids their ages all that sort of stuff 
And Barton realized the strobe lights were an alarm system for someone who's deaf. She's in Maya's apartment. A fight develops. Um, and when Kate needs Clint to back her up, all she hears is a scuffle through her earpiece of something going on on the rooftop where Clint was covering her. She gets to there, turns into a four-way fight. There's Clint, there's Kate, there's Maya, and there's a fourth person on the rooftop fighting. Um, and as the fight progresses, it, we finally get the fourth person unmasked. And for people who saw the Black Widow movie, it's Yelena Belo uh, What's her name? Belova? Yeah, Yelena Belova, mm -hmm. Natasha's Black Widow sister. And up at this point, Clint tells Kate she has to leave because someone has hired a Black Widow assassin and the fight has gotten out of her range. And that's a quick recap of what goes on in four. Comments, concerns? Mike, I can see thoughts bubbling to the surface there. You want to say yeah, something? Yeah, Mike, what do you got to say? What do you got to say? I hated this episode. Really? Just about everything about this episode I hated. And after the first three episodes, which I was absolutely in love with, they did all the tropes that I was hoping they wouldn't go into. Uh, I did not like the sudden shift in the whole Kate Clint um relationship it wasn't the batman and robin anymore it was like you know hawkeye saying okay we're gonna break in this way you're gonna go up to the third level it's like no i'm not i'm just gonna go in the front door like suddenly she's just doing her own thing so you have your idol you're working with him finally and no now it's girl power time now i'm better than you i can do things my way it's just that part drove me crazy um even the beginning of the episode you know it's like the showdown with the swordsman and hawkeye it's like oh how is this gonna happen and it just kind of dissipated nothing really happened the next thing you know it's just kate bishop's mom dancing with him and this kind of hokey relationship stuff that it's like oh what's happening i don't care and then at the end where it's just the final fight on the rooftop reminded me of the Femme Force thing in Endgame, where it's Hawkeye out of his element with these three women fighting. It's like, come on, like it's supposed to be Hawkeye's show. It just, for me, this episode went completely off the rails, except for one sequence, which I really liked, is them hanging out in the apartment and with their Christmas sweaters, and he's showing off his aiming skills with i forget what it was he was flipping but he's flipping something and he's hitting the tv and he's teaching her how to do it that moment i thought was great i really enjoyed that but most of the episode is it just like i didn't really feel anything from it and for me the fifth episode was the one it's like okay let's see what happens in episode five but we'll talk about that later all right. Yeah, okay. I'm, so I will have to say that I did not perceive it from the angle that you did, Michael, but the way that you presented it, I understand what you're saying. And it does make sense that, yes, I, I didn't think of it. I thought that um, Kate Bishop was being very Kate Bishop. She was the bratty, uh, rich, privileged character. Like, no, I know what I'm doing. I'll, I'll do it my way sort of thing. Even Do you though... picture Robin doing that to Batman? No, no, but, but I didn't. But she's I didn't... not Robin. He's but not she's Batman. not Robin. No, she's definitely not Robin. She's but like, they're essentially if... the roles. 
Yeah, no, I understand that. But she's more of like a Nightwing if Nightwing came to Batman as Nightwing before he was Robin to begin with. He's set in his ways. He thinks he knows what's best and all that sort of thing. But I do understand. I do. I, I, yeah, I'll I'll go. I'll go after Gavin. (laughs) But I understand what you were saying from your point of view. Yes. If you, if that's how you perceived uh, for, because I don't think, I don't think Clint wants to be the Batman to Kate's Robin. I mean, he definitely doesn't want her there. He wants to run solo, but he now knows that, I mean, at this point in the storyline, he now knows that he has to help this girl get out of this problem that she's gotten herself into that he is also involved in. So, I mean, I understand that your perception of the Batman Robin thing. Yes. If that was, if I was thinking the exact same thing, I totally understand what you're saying. Like, no, he just told you to do it. Step A, B, and C. Why are you going through F? Like, why are now, you thinking? In episode three, it to me, it made sense. It, you know, it was like miscommunication, and she was supposed to drive, he's supposed to shoot, but it got mixed up. Episode three, it was like, okay, story-wise, that makes sense to me. Yeah, but three yeah, had a more of a kinetic feel to it. It had more it was of very a, organic let's, let's flow. Yes, let's flow with what we have sort of thing and all that. Mm-hmm. And while this one is set up to be like, you have to go A, B, C, and then she decides to root around that sort of thing. And that's why they ended up in all that. Like, um, I don't I don't know about the, the, I understand what you mean by the the female fan, the force sort of fight on the roof sort of thing. When ma- most of your characters are female in this whole entire series, I mean, you've got which a, is fine, which is yeah. So but you're it's going to blowing up, off the main character is what gets me. Well, see, I don't think. Uh, see, I think Hawkeye is going to. I mean, in the end, I believe it's going to be Hawkeye. It's going to be Clint. It's going to be Kate. That's what the Hawkeye refers to. It's going to. be I the still two think of the them. setup is he's they're going to kill him. I hope they don't. I please I'm, don't. I'm, Disney, I'm please don't. And I'm going to say it again, what I've said. I, I think it's way too early for them to take out. Look, look, if Clint does not make it home for Christmas, that is going to be the worst way to end this. This is going to even be a- worse would be if Hawkeye shows up at home, but it's not Clint. It's Kate. That will piss me oh, off. You so son of much. a bitch. You son of a bitch. I didn't even think of that being Hawkeye shows up at home, but it's actually Kate this time with a friggin her the final message from Clint sort of thing. Yeah, she it? shows up with a fruitcake. You like... son of a bitch. <laughs> Why the fuck would you do that? Oh, if they do that, I'm going to be pissed off. Yes. Oh, I am so there with you, but they can't. I'm they can't do that to. We have two more episodes to find out. I know. Yeah. Or two right. more. What do you have one to more. say? Well, we only have one more one episode. More. We have to talk about one more episode before we, because this is where, but Trevor, what do you have to say about episode four? Oh, oh, it's, it's Gavin, Gavin first. Oh, it's Gavin's, Gavin and Gavin's his cat. Said, his cat's got have, something to say. What does the cat have to say about episode four? Uh, it's mostly just tuna breath. Um, I think um, I'm, I'm not going to touch all the, the speculation here with, uh, with how it's going to end, because that's just going to cause me great sadness if any of it is true. So uh, I'm going to focus on the, some of the things I, I quite liked. I, I, I liked how human uh, Clint was. Uh, he's, he's, he's clearly showing the, you know, the wear and tear from his years as an Avenger. Uh, I mean, he's, he's like strapping like ice packs all over him and uh, you know, 
the margarita <laughs> mixes was a nice touch yes i yeah. did like that yeah um showing that bit with uh like how how he could uh you could just snap the coin and like turn off the tv from there uh like at the end of the hallway i i love that little bit that, that's uh that's also kind of tapping into sort of the uh the ultimate hawkeye's sort of innate power of being able to just like pinpoint accuracy like throw anything like that would that's his power throw anything use anything as a weapon like he just has this natural hand-eye coordination that can turn anything into a weapon throw the throw, throw the mouse throw the coin throw the cat now you're dead and the cat walks away i, yeah, I was, just yeah definitely I, I just enjoyed the how 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 human uh hawkeye was yeah and you're really seeing, like, you know, the love for his family, the love for his kids, and damn it, he he's he he cares about this Kate Bishop uh, chick that just ruined his life. He wants to get her out of this, you know. And also the fact you could also you can you can feel his disappointment in himself, how he's letting his family down by not being there. You he definitely sees that it's wearing on him, and again he becomes a human. He is like the most human character out of all of them. I mean, we've got all the other Avengers are all some sort of superpower or, or technologically advanced or some sort of altered human and all that, or an alien, but he is well, the only one. Exactly. Yeah. Like, say, say like, uh, like Clint is the first, is the only one that uh, I think in terms of like the universe, like, like the meta universe is, is, showing his age like tony stark okay he he's he's always pretty much looked like that from the beginning so i mean it's it's it, it, yeah you know I, I can see robert downey jr you know when he says you know he doesn't want to be 50 years old and basically doing acrobat stunts on set kind of thing yeah i i get that um uh chris evans you know he's young enough that he can still play thor uh or least another 10 years even i'd say captain america captain america yeah, you got captain america's chris yeah, Hemsworth, yeah. sorry yeah yeah, yeah. Um, all those chrises down all those chrises yeah yeah, yeah. interchangeable chrises uh, i mean chris evan clearly aged himself out of the show so i mean he's he's the he's the only one still kind of around that's 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 visibly looking haggard and older so you know he's tired like he's 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 lethal weaponing it he, he's tired of this shit you know, it, it, it's, it's like less than a year before his retirement kind of shit. Yeah, definitely, for sure. And um, so um, that brings us to episode five, which Trevor, actually... Trevor has nothing to say. Oh, I apologize. Oh, I I completely completely forgot. Forgot. I You're right. Let's just skip over Trevor. Back. Let's skip yeah. over Trevor. See, yeah. see, the thing He's is, he's already said too much. I liked episode four for all the reasons that Mike hated it. Because the, the title. Well, that's of why you're episode, wrong. This title of this episode says it all. Partners, am I right? That's 100% Kate Bishop. Yeah. She is pushing yeah. for a partnership. Um, and if anything, Barton would take her, you know, he'd be more of a mentor than a partner. He wants to retire. He doesn't want to keep being Hawkeye. He wants to go, go home, spend Christmas with his family, retire from S.H.I.E.L.D., retire from Avengers, live his life. They even have the flashback when she questions that, and when she kind of says, you were Ronan, and they do that flashback where he was teaching his daughter to shoot. That's his connection to, to Kate. That's why he's doing what he's doing for Kate, because she reminds him of his daughter who, she, you know, he lost her in the blip, got her back after. 
but she's there waiting at home for him. But he can't step away from Kate, leaving her in such a position. So, you know, teaching her the coin trick was 100% of, I don't know if you guys remember it from Civil War when uh, uh, Clint broke uh, uh, Scarlet Witch out of the compound and said, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, yeah. they said that whole thing of, I thought you took up golf. Yeah, shot 18, scored 18. You know, it's, it's hard to play golf when you're that accurate of a person. You know, it, there's no challenge anymore. So that kind of showed off, like with anything in his hands, he's, his accuracy is, is beyond human. Um, so seeing him like, you know, seeing him at kind of like in the dad role with, you know, watching movies and the, the goofy sweaters and the, the margaritas, the, I think that was him more of, he wasn't relaxing with Kate. He was hanging out with his daughter. And it was reminding him of what he's missing at home, what he needs. He needs to wrap up whatever is going on in New York so he can just go home. This whole series is not about existential crisis. Clint's just an old man want to go home, go home with his family. Just let him go fucking home. And everyone seems to be stepping in his way. So that final fight where he, we still don't know exactly what that watch holds, like why, why it's so special, why he's willing to risk all this. And with Kate, Ignoring his 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 methods could be his shield methods or his Ronan Day methods of how you gain access to the apartment, how you have your quick exit. And she's like, no, I've got this. That's as as Troy said, that's Kate being Kate as the spoiled socialite. There's even a sequence where we see it later where she's with her mom and she says, you know, you have an arrogance, you have an overconfidence. And that's exactly 100 percent what it is. That whole fight on the rooftop was because of. Kate's overconfidence. She wants to be a hero, but she's so overconfident in, in the skills that she has that, you know, Clint has the experience and she wasn't listening to it. She thought she knew better. And if I think that if they had done why you fail. Yeah. If she had done, done the, the infiltration of the apartment Clint's way, I think Maya wouldn't have been involved because she would have disabled the alarm system, got in, got the watch, got out. Maya, none the wiser. And yeah, they they really had to introduce Elaine in here. That we knew that from at the end of, of Black Widow that you know she was going after Hawkeye, so they had to get her in here somehow. So this is the way they do it. Um, and then episode five takes everything that they did in four, all that setup, and then elevates it up, and then five into six so yeah cranks yeah. it up to yeah cranks it up to again it's the penultimate episode it's the penultimate episode episode five so uh this is uh, one where um we really hit the ground running on this one uh it's uh, uh it's it's well actually trevor you did a great job of the explanation right. of the episode four you go on with the five because i'm just so, gonna recap. so over my episode five yet. is called ronin and this I think this was an apt title because this is what the whole series has been about is the hunting of Ronan. Um, so we start out in 2018, uh, Belova and other black widows are systematically finding black widows and deprogramming them with the red gas as in the black widow movie. Um, so, but Belova becomes a victim of the blip. I love She's, that part. I she just was have washing to her face. Say- she blips that, away I was and then away. for her five seconds later, she blips back and only five seconds have passed. It's not been the five year blip. So it's for her, it's not 2022. It's 2018 in her mind or 20, whatever it is. So 
um now at this point you know this is when she connects with uh the, the countess and all the stuff and now she's you know and the thing is the woman that she was there with basically gives her the connection she needs to be an assassin for hire to pay the bills so at this point we find out that um kate has told her mom that she suspects that uh the boy toy is the you know the the secret the shadowy head of the tracksuit mafia she drops a dime to the cops he gets arrested he does this whole i'm sure it's a misunderstanding sort of thing um and at this point um clint has he has trying he's trying to extract himself from kate's life because he saw how hurt she got in the rooftop fight so he goes to grill's place uh the guy the the LARP, lap the larper guy um and at the same time, Kate goes back to her old apartment above the is it a pizza place? Yeah, pizza shop. And who's there but Yelena? Um, and she explains that you know why she's hunting Barton. That Barton's not the man she thinks that Kate thinks she is. Thinks she is and stuff like that, or he, he is. And so when they get back together, she immediately tells him, "Oh, by the way, Natasha. It's Yelena's Natasha's sister." Which now I think has got the gears rolling in, in Clint's head because at one point he takes out his earpiece and he's standing in front of the Avengers Memorial and he, you know, does this this very heartfelt thing to Natasha or the spirit of Natasha saying, you know, he, he knows what he needs to do and he asks for forgiveness for, for having to do it because he's going to do it. And this is sounds like he's breaking a promise that he had made to her some long time ago. I hope we get some sort of flashback scene, but we probably won't anyways. Um, so at this point, uh, you know, Bishop arrives to help, um, uh, Barton escape. Um, Maya is now very suspicious of Kazi because Clint says to her who was not when he killed her dad, who was not at the, the place. And it was Kazi. Kazi should have been there, but he was out of town conveniently. Um, and so one of the best things was, so Belova is tracking Kate's mom and text Bishop that she was hired by Kate's mom to kill Clint Barton, which is a big ass revelation. And she's working with Lopez's uncle. And we finally see the screenshot of Vincent DeForio as the kingpin from the Daredevil series. Thank fucking Christ. White suit and everything. Classic everything. Yeah. It is. This episode six is going to be goddamn glorious. Until so, Hawkeye dies. He's not going to die. Shut it with it. that, Michael. Shut See, it. Actually, my, my prediction right now in, in six is he's going to be injured in, or in some way. And Kate's going to save him. And he's going to be like, tell you what, the Hawkeye mantle's yours. I hope you're right. I'm not convinced, I but I hope die. you're right. Because the thing is, is they need him. If they decide to do a Young Avengers or something like that, they need Jeremy Renner. Um, they need someone from the old guard. Because the thing is, is I mean, you're going to have uh, Mark Ruffalo and She-Hulk. You're going to need more than just... Because things you, you no longer have RDJ. You no longer have Chris Evans. Hemsworth is busy doing Love and Thunder. So you're, we're running out of original Avengers and Natasha's yeah, already Samuel gone. Jackson's in space with the scrolls. Exactly. So we're running low on original Avengers. I can't see them killing off Hawkeye 
to fulfill some some you know writer's fantasy because they need him if they're going to if Disney is going to step forward with more series they're going to need some of the original Avengers to help tie this all together. Well, so we'll find out soon enough. Die. I could see him losing an arm. I could see him like something that forcibly ends his career as Hawkeye, but I can't see them killing him. All right. So um, maybe even lose a hand. Um, you know what? Um, I'm going to say that uh, Haley and Florence worked fabulously together in that uh, eating macaroni. That interaction scene. was hilarious. That I was agree with that. So, he was calling so her good. Kate Bishop. Do you yeah. keep calling me Kate Bishop because it, it, yeah. yes. <laughs> she made her feel so scared. Like it was, uh, yeah, yeah. Yelena is just. I, I liken it to being being in a room with an apex predator. That yeah. at any moment, yeah. Oh, yeah. they could end you and there's fuck all you can do about it. Yeah. You just, you're waiting for them to make that decision that your time is done. You know, they're cashing in your life insurance. Yes. You're just going to be yeah. a hashtag. Yeah. You're done. Right, right. Yeah. No, that is the thing I want to say do. about that sequence too is I'm glad that the actresses kept to their characters and they were so authentic. So you have the Black Widow who, like Trevor said, seems like the apex predator. You, know, you have the Kate Bishop, who's still kind of new to this and out of her element. You know, sometimes in movies, you get two actors that start trying to do the same thing. You know, a perfect example is Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones in The Batman, where they're both like evil cackling villains. And they, you know, it's like, no, they're both doing the that same was a perfect, thing. That was a perfect example, Michael. That was a that perfect was, that example. Was. They're trying to yeah. cackle each other. But in this one, no, you have these two very different characters having a very interesting conversation. Both actresses blowing it out of the water. Like it's knocking home runs every scene. It was beautiful. And when that scene happened, you know, whereas the rooftop, I was like, oh, this is like just a weird femme force thing going on. This is one where it's like, oh, these two could really be in a movie together and pull it off. My favorite thing is when Kate said, you know, I could have killed you on the rooftop, and the laugh that Yelena gives. Yeah, it's it's, it's so good. That, that was laugh, the moment. Dude, I, it's so authentic that laugh. I think that was the moment that Kate realized that she is. This is a whole other level that someone's operating on. That she's a, a tiny little minnow in in the ocean. And yeah, she's it's just like you're not face there to yet. Face with a great white. Yeah, and that's why the rest of that conversation when she's sitting there, you can see she has her hands carefully fold it she's she's trying to be as non-threatening as possible trying not to trigger the predator in front of her and it was such a beautifully done sequence of that of and when she leaves you can see kate give that sigh of like i lived through this she didn't kill me on her way out yeah and it was such a gorgeous sequence the way they did that that you know on the rooftop fight we until her, her the, the hood came off we know who it was and she even says the whole thing when she you threw me off the roof. I was clearing the battlefield, like simplifying it. Yeah, it was such a clinical and tactical way. It was just there's nothing against you. It was just she needed to clean the battlefield to make it tactically superior for herself. And it was just like you are you, you're operating in circles that 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 it, this is going to bite you in the ass. And that's why when you get that whole thing with when she's talking to her mom and you know cleaning the cuts and she's like you know you're you're being overconfident. And I think. After talking with Elena, Kate just realized that her overconfidence will get her killed because there are people out there who are far superior at what they do. 
Yeah. The Battle of New York Memorial. Like this was the so again, because I didn't like the previous episode and the first half of this episode is like, okay, you're winning me over. I'm I'm back on board. Like the whole sequence between the two girls was great. And then you finally see the Battle of New York Memorial with Clint there looking at it, and it just brings everything together. Like that was that was a heartfelt scene when he especially when he powerful it, when he takes out the, yeah, yeah, when he took so there's the no urinate. distractions when yeah. he actually physically took it out he didn't turn it off he physically took it out it so out that there was no head. distractions yeah. to what he yeah. had to say yeah. exactly yeah and, and now yeah. storytelling wise this did seem like a farewell goodbye if you're looking at plot points to kill the characters like this is they keep doing this and again joss whedon did this too like they've already done this I hope it's another big fake out, but it was haunting. Like I'm watching this it's like, oh no, but I did enjoy this moment. And from this moment on, I was like, okay, I'm back on board and excited to see what happened next. Gavin, yeah. you haven't said anything recently. what do you have to say? I like the, uh, I, I like that whole battle in the parking lot. Just uh, Clint just taking down like, you know, tracksuit mafia after tracksuit mafia, just like silently for, uh, at first. It was like then, a horror movie. That was oh, like yeah. Clint being Ronin. That was that was that yeah, was that was yeah, Clint yeah, being yeah, Ronin. Yeah, yeah. Which for sure. I think if during the blip, if I was on Ronin's list, I would just spend each day shitting myself, waiting for him to come because I don't think I could surround myself with enough people to save myself. That's a lot of shit. Seeing how efficiently he cleared that area until it was just Maya was frightening. And even even then, like that battle with Maya, it, it seemed like they were on pretty uh, even even grounds. Like he had a bit, the edge over her, but you know she still managed to get a few good hits in. Uh, my favorite part about that, though, was one he he basically let her live. Just he's not the Ronin anymore. He's not Ronin. Yeah. Uh, but also, uh, when Kate Bishop basically kind of just distracted things long enough for him to get away. And then they get they 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 run off into a fucking Uber. I mean, that's which was fantastic. Genius. Which is a fantastic exit strategy. Yeah, you, this is something you wouldn't have been able to pull off a couple of years ago and all that. But yeah, the I, fact that I mean, yeah. Clint, Clint is like, "How are we going to get out of here?" And it's like, uh, "Oh, are you are you Kate?" Uh, yeah. So no, it was a oh. different name. She gave a different name. It wasn't Kate. Uh, I, just, I can't remember what it was, but it was yeah. It was like the are hey, are you so and so? Yep. Like, like Clint was just like, huh? It's like like robbing a bank and using an Uber to get away. I like how we were uh, we we were presented with the uh, Chekhov's uh, costumes. Um, we were told that they were available, but uh, we mm -hmm. don't get to see them yet. So we got I one more episode. Next episode. I, hope I mean, we in the we have seen the costumes because we've seen the trailers for this and all that. But uh, yeah, so it looks uh, kind of cool. Um, Kazi is uh shitting bricks. Uh, when uh, when uh, yeah, when Maya approaches him and like, like, yeah, so uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, you, you knew he was he was he was involved in something there, uh, and like just, just that, like, the, the beads of sweat on him was just like, oh, you rat bastard, you were in on it right from the start. One thing I want to say about the oh. Go Keep ahead. Going. Okay. Uh, I was just going to say about the parking lot scene. I do like how the Kate Bishop character did fulfill the Robin role where 
Clint was down on the ground and looked like he was going to get taken out, but the arrow took the whatever it was, the weapon out of Echo's hand. So, you know, whereas the other one, it's like they weren't doing the Batman Robin team that I thought they should in that parking lot sequence, they were. So I just wanted to throw that in there. And also the part that after he was able to escape, not only did he retrieve the arrow that she used, he actually gave that arrow back to her. Mm. So she got back that arrow that yeah she used to save him sort of thing. So that was kind of neat. Um, so <clears throat> um, yeah, so we find out a lot more and all that. Uh, we find out uh, that uh, Elena tracks down uh, Eleanor, follows her to uh, a location that we've actually seen before, which showed up in the Netflix uh, series. And um, yeah, we get our... we. I mean, we get a a very get grainy, <laughs> a very grainy uh, camera phone picture of Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin. Some Russian knockoff iPhone or something. Yeah, probably. Well, yeah, no, it's probably a burner that, I mean, it's not going to take great yeah. pictures anyways. Yeah, yeah, sort of thing. And yeah, so Eleanor. We and, fun. Yeah. Now, I, I, I'm just harking back to when Clint was, was talking to Natasha or pouring out his heart. He said something about she always had to win, and even and and he's replayed that moment a million times. He made the statement of he tries to do, tries to do his best every day to earn what she gave him. And I think that's part of the reason why he's he just didn't walk away and let events fall where they may in New York and let you know Kate get killed as thinking it's the Ronin and stuff like that. I think that's why he's doing what he's doing. But I don't think this was him saying goodbye. I think this was him acknowledging the sacrifice that Natasha has made. But he's not saying goodbye to his family yet. So, and it was just him saying he's sorry about what he has to do. He's going to have to. No, that remember in the first movie he talked about red on the on the ledger. Up until this point, he's been you know since uh, Endgame. He's been keeping his nose clean. No, no red on the ledger. No, no assassinations. No, nothing like that. Like even in the fight against the tracksuit mafia, there was no killing shots. Every yeah, shot. Yeah, I guess was at it was all incapacitated. Yeah, he the never arms against walls and things like that. Yeah, yeah, arms against walls. The even the big arrow cutting cutting the vehicle in half. There was no fatalities. Yeah. Since Endgame, Pim arrow. I still can't get over the Pim yeah. arrow. Since Endgame, he has not taken a life. I mean, he took the life of those three creatures, like the the, the space dogs chasing him and stuff like that, and, and in the Battle of Endgame. But since then, he hasn't taken a life, and he hasn't taken a human life. And I've I've noticed that throughout this whole series, every time he's firing at someone, he is shooting to disable, shooting to to subdue, but he is not killing. Oh yeah, that's classic superhero. Like that's what you want. But the thing is, mm-hmm. Clint is an assassin. He he's Envy. even said he's a weapon aimed at you know people aim him at at, at targets. That was he a great line. Frequently, mm-hmm. yeah. I yeah. think him. I think he made a promise to Natasha when she gave up her life. To he was that's it. He was done being the assassin because she was the one that pulled him out when he was Ronin. She showed up and and to give him hope. So I think him at basically telling Natasha he's sorry is him saying he's going to have to take a life and breaking such a, a large vow. So that's part of it. I think that's why episode six is just going to be un believable. 
And uh, to finish off the episode of uh, episode five, we got an alteration to the closing credits. Uh, we got the skyline shot of New York, but this time it was actually framed by the uh, outline of Kingpin, which was a fantastic reveal at the very end of the episode, which was kind of nice. Um, it's kind of interesting that they put Vincent D'Onofrio's name like so far up on the list when he's only in the one shot. So like, I'm not even like a special guest at the end of it. No, he's like fifth out of like, seven names and then it's like with and so it was kind of neat to see it it's like this saying ha ha we got our characters back yeah and yeah. we got them all back yeah we got them um, all by back. the way i just want to show you guys something here um, look away mike it might be a spoiler no it, <laughs> no <laughs> it's spider-man what for episode six they released this single image promo look at all the stark arrowheads stark arrows oh, this could get oh interesting boy. now Stark was a weapon designer. Yep. These are probably the ones that he said, nope, nope, can't use this one. Nope. So if he's breaking out these bad boys, this is going to be some serious shit. All right. Either that or it's going to be like non-lethal in a like an incredibly awesome way. Oh, no, they're going to be lethal. No, they're going to be lethal. The non-lethal were the PIM ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. How is dropping a skyscraper-sized arrow <laughs> on people the pacifist way? Well, that's Nobody the thing. Died, that, did they? That's no one. Yeah, no one died. No one yeah. died. Okay, that was pure luck. It was pure just a fender bender. Yeah, just a simple fender bender. Stark. I mean, Stark made the came back later in another episode that leveled mountains. Yeah. So come on. Yeah, I'm pretty sure one Can of those I... arrows is one of those missiles. Yeah, one of those is the Jericho. Yeah. yeah. So he's like, nope, not that. Sure. When he said, when she said that whole like, you have four four arrows that are more powerful, they're more dangerous than this. Yeah. Yeah. They're the ones. I'm. Uh, I'm just satisfied that uh, that Mar- that Marvel can they uh, have all basically confirmed what we have with the, all of the rumors that we've been hearing, and that basically the Netflix characters, uh, like the the actors who played the Netflix versions of the characters, were were so damn good. That they're worth bringing into the Marvel Cinematic well, Universe. Honestly, for the for the Daredevil series, the casting the Kingpin was made me one of the most happiest. I mean, his I, I mean I've been following his career through like the, the Law and Orders, Full Metal Jacket, all that stuff. Like, okay, it's Adventures in Babysitting. He was Thor. Yeah, he exactly. Was Thor, yeah, yeah, he, he was, was Thor. Thor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that yeah. is such an arc. And then when he played Kingpin, he played it so cold and merciless. He chewed every scene he was in. He was the focal point of every scene. It was amazing. And then when they said, "Oh, you know, we're bringing Kingpin," I was, I was like, "Please, please, please, make it Vincent. Please make it Vincent." And then when I heard the chuckle, you know, two episodes back, and then especially when we see that grainy image in in five, and you, and then his names in the credits, I gave a cheer in my office. I was like, "Yes, finally!" Going, going back to Daredevil. With the first few episodes, I wasn't 100% sold on him until that car door sequence. It's like, oh my God, this is the oh, king. That was so rough yeah. to watch. It was, but it it encapsulated the oh, kingpins. No, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. His, at, his, at that point, I was sold. His it's like, morality. Yeah. Okay. Any means necessary. On board. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to throw something out there. And this is, feel free to, to basically say you're crazy. You're crazy. But, this is about crazy. Optimus Prime, isn't it? No, no, surprisingly oh. not. This one time. <laughs> uh, 
the the uh, you know the Fox Daredevil movie as awful as it was, I think they cast one one person rather really well, and that it was, was the Kingpin. It was yeah exactly it was the Kingpin. No no oh god I, no. he was... had the stature that that he had the stature kind of... but he didn't have the menace. He lacked the menace. Yeah, Michael Clark Duncan. I don't think. I mean, Michael Clark Duncan did a admirable job of that particular version of a kingpin, but I you, again, you could still see the the smile yeah. lines of his face. You could any yeah, second he was going to break into a he nice. Still happy had smile. too kind looking of a face. He still had too. In the Daredevil series on Netflix, you, you could see when his eyes would go soulless, and you're like, oh shit, someone is about to get killed by his hands because. He's just like all all sense of morality and and you know preserve other humans has just fled the building. Someone's about to get killed in a horrific well, way. He he definitely embodied that whole uh, you know the the smile they smile but it doesn't reach their eyes. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the other thing is, you also got to take in consideration the Fox movie was a a PG movie. It wasn't supposed to be the Netflix dark gritty that eventually daredevil became michael clerk duncan did a fantastic job he's a great act he, sorry i apologize was a great actor and he did a fantastic job in the role that he was given for that movie it wasn't that great of a movie but still i, I, mean, I thought his kingpin was fine his, no like, I, again, his kingpin. i think it was i think it was it was fine but to me it wasn't the embodiment of the kingpin he just he he had the size he just lacked the menace and again, I don't think they wanted to go all full out menace and all that on him because of it being a first Netflix. They're like, menace it up. Yeah, exactly. Oh, make people door. nervous watching the screen. Yeah. So, yeah. so how many times do I have to hit put this guy's head in the car door? As many as, as you many want. Many as I want. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Until you hear a pop, and then you oh. can slow down. That was just so disturbing, and they didn't show a lot of it. It was just the sound. Oh God, the sound! It was like, that was the, like the sound of a watermelon. The rage. Crush. Yes, like the his, watermelon his, his, sound. His pure rage. Oh. Just the. You're like, yeah. oh, oh, that's not that's not good. And I'm gonna have the, to watch that episode. The silhouetted, too. the silhouetted shot underneath the car of the blood dripping down and all that, just like, oh, it was just. You're like, I, I think that car is going to need to get detailed. Yeah, it's definitely going to need some detail work on that. Yes. Just oh, I will admit that I wish that Vincent D'Onofrio was was a little bit bigger for the MCU. Like, I thought, I was hoping they'd give him a little bit more of the padded suit just to kind of bulk him up to comic book size a little bit. You know, that, that was one I mean, complaint you don't want, that I had. You don't want Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse yeah that's right that's somewhere in between yeah. yeah somewhere in between gotcha gotcha they, yeah uh, I, I remember the description like the physique of uh of wilson fisk was basically something along the lines of something between the, uh like a like a like a, a champion weightlifter and a sumo wrestler with all of the everything underneath his skin is is just sheer muscle yeah like this is yeah. why he's able to like you know crack people's heads with with his bare hands yeah you, know. you have to remember the actor he's six foot four he's not a small man mm. So when he's when he's like standing next to someone, he is just met like looming over top of them. But the thing is, Kingpin's greatest strength is not his strength; it's his brain. He is like incredibly smart. He thinks it through. Last resort is he grabs you by the face and crushes your skull. And he can do that too. So right? yeah, that's and, his and backup he, power. And 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 you know, introduce you to his car door. Yes. 
So, all yeah. right. So now that we've wrapped all that up and uh, obviously we are totally waiting for next week's uh, final episode. Oh, um, it, question yeah. for you guys real quick. Do you okay, think we're yes. going to get the kitchen sequence like we had in the ultimates? Are we going to get Hawkeye somewhere with a bunch of forks and knives and spoons where he has to take out all the Kingpin's goons? No, I think it's going to happen at Rockefeller Center. Yeah. I remember from the initial promo. Yeah, there's that. They're at Rockefeller Center just firing sequence. arrows left and right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that's where we're going to see a bunch of trick arrows. Now, we, there may be a, you know, they retreat back to Kate's place or his place and the Kingpin's there waiting for him. And then, yeah, we'll see the everything, including the kitchen sink. That would be awesome if that happens. Um, yeah. You'll probably hear me cheering all the way down in Albany. Um <laughs> Yeah, if that's if that happens, you're gonna be like, is that Trevor? Yeah, because um, yeah, I'll be cheering. I'm also hoping that it's a little longer of an episode. Yeah, have, um, they, have they released with any details about it? I that that I have not seen. That I have not seen. But I do know that the third episode was like 38 minutes long, and the fifth episode was like 47 or something like that. So, yeah. So it'll be nice to get a nice little longer than average episode. But I mean. You never know. It might. Uh... Oh, no, there's just on. so much more to cover. I'm looking it up. I'm looking it and up. And then, okay, well, we're living. In, we're 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 tuning in live as Trevor Googles. Trevor's googling. I'm Here googling, he is. Googling. He's looking. They're saying He's it's a record breaking. They say it's a record breaking uh, runtime for season finale. Oh, so oh, are we gonna have a two hour episode? Oh, oh that would be so sweet. Long as they don't kill him, they're not giving it an exact. Yeah, they're not giving it an exact. Okay, it is going right. to be a record-breaking time. All right, you got to remember, um, episode two of Loki was fifty-four minutes as the longest episode they've done of anything. Right, so right, that'll right, be over right. fifty-four minutes. Okay, so we get we at least get an hour, maybe yeah. hour and a half, a seventy-five-minute episode. A seventy-five-minute episode would be nice. I would an be, hour and a half. I'll be a happy little guy if, if yeah. it's like you know, even if it's sixty minutes, I'll be. Yeah, 60 exactly. Because there's a lot for them still to get through, unless they're going to be setting up for a second season Hawkeye, and which I highly doubt they won't do it. But hey, you never know. You never know until we see it. Well, or the an, a season of Hawkeye Kate Bishop. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, no, again, it would be Hawkeye because then, yeah. like, she would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Hawkeye subtext Kate Bishop. At this point, I'd rather see Young Avengers. Oh, no, for sure. For sure. Well, I mean, that's what we know we're leading up to. So, yeah. 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 The, you know, Young Avengers were She-Hulk's part of the team. Yeah. Yeah. Miss Marvel. Yeah. We got the Marvels coming out soon. Yeah. There's a All lot. Right. And Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> yes. This and Cobra. <clears throat> and this, Cobra. God, this month. Oh, God. Yeah. This, this this these next two weeks it's ridiculous all right so moving on we're going to go on to one of our other uh, ongoing uh, topics and this is our top 10 lists so what we do is we've compiled our uh, favorite movies from uh, our own personal lists of top 10s and we are basically going through them one by one in reverse order and explaining why this one particular movie is where it is on our particular top 10. And we've uh, dwindled down to uh, the number sixes, which is what we are going to be discussing this evening. So um, to begin with, we're going to go with uh, Mr. Gavin. And uh, Mr. Gavin, what's your number six? Well, my number six 
is a bit of a groundbreaker in science fiction. Rather than starting with the action hero who is practically invincible, starts with a frail, frail human caught up in an underhanded street or underfunded street war. He has no idea it was going to cost him his life. Released in 1987, the cult classic dystopian future movie, RoboCop. Directed by Paul Verhoeven, starring Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, and Kurtwood Smith of that 70s show fame. Highlight, highlighting this over the this over-the-top violent action movie. Peter Weller plays Murphy, a police officer gunned down in the line of duty, resurrected as a cybernetic police officer by Omni Consumer Products, which runs the Detroit Police Department. He struggles with his realization that he is something more than just a ro robotic law enforcement, and with the help of his partner, Officer Lewis, manages to claim his, reclaim his humanity. Along the way, he dispatches criminals with ruthless ease, often with extremely gory results, he encounters Ed 209, a remorseless robot animated by Phil Tippett's animation studio when he's on the run from OCP, the heartless company, you can actually hear the capitalization of that word, that commissioned both Robocop and Ed 209. Now, I, uh, I wanted to see this movie so bad. Uh, I saw like the commercials were popping up everywhere, but of course, I was far too young to see this movie. Uh, the uh, when it finally came out on video, it was practically impossible to find this at, at Blockbuster. It was rented out every single t time I, I, I was uh, looking for it. And so I finally found a copy, uh, a video rental copy from a video store. Like this is mom and pop shop that decided they were just going to sell it. So I bought it. It was the unrated version. Now, the, ver the version that we all saw seemed pretty damn over the top. This one had the had had the, uh, Murphy getting shot in the head, and here's uh, I, I believe I was 14 years old, 15 years old, watching this with abject horror. Now, I got to say, Peter Weller's presence as RoboCop was electrifying. The ro the moment RoboCop walked into the room, you could feel his presence. I mean, certainly helped with the the thump 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 as he's walking in. Uh, Supposedly, his Robocop weighed like 500, five or 600 pounds of pure metal. So they really punctuated that. Um, the criminals would just shit themselves on the spot. Police officers were stunned. Just every, every step was just thump, thump on purpose, but no less satisfying to watch. Adding that tiny bit of robotic re re reverb to his voice made him sound menacing. The metal gleaming off the cybernetic exoskeleton made him look lethal. His utterance of the phrase, dead or alive, you are coming with me. It's just spine tingling, especially how it was, it was said with virtually no emotion in that. What made so much of his characterization more, more enticing was the subtle details, like when Robocop bought him out the, car, the police car, the same way Alex Murphy would, or the twirling of the gun, Western trick shooter style. It really sold me on the fact that this was Officer Mercy, Murphy turned lethal police officer. The commercials themselves helped sell this dystopian nature of the film, corporate ownership, a casual lack of human empathy, even the fact that the sun, the, the sun required special cancer causing sunblock to, to prevent skin cancer from the sun. Even their catchphrase, I'd buy that for a dollar, calls to a cheap and cynically over-commercialized world. It's hard to pinpoint exactly what keeps this movie so, uh, so close to my heart. I have watched it again and again and again, every time I see it. Sometimes I'll just pull out the DVD and I'll just watch it. Well, Blu-ray now, the DVD is no longer in my possession, but 
uh, ultimately, it's a movie about a man losing his humanity and regaining it. While this plot has been done again and again, it's never been qu done quite like this. I mean, what's not to like about a cyborg using extreme violence to dispatch ruthless criminals? No one. That's who. Very, very good. Very, very good choice there, Mr. Gavin. I, I wholeheartedly agree with pretty much every single point that you said about it. Again, I saw this movie at a young age. I saw this movie... I wasn't expecting what I saw when I actually did finally see this movie. Uh, again, yes, uh, rental on a VHS, people. Yes, VHS is when we would have originally seen it. Um, and then um, I believe uh, I the one copy that I actually saw a lot was a recorded off of television version of uh, RoboCop where everything was so horribly censored. Forget that, me. <laughs> Forget, Forget me. me is my favorite censor. <laughs> that was from ABC, right? ABC Something network? like that. Yeah, because it was a network oh. television that was doing it. Uh, the movie New bag, Metal Muffin. To fill the two-hour time slot, they actually had to put more commercials in it because they had cut so much of the movie out. Um, but still. I mean, to this day, every single time I see the regular version, I always hear, forget me, forget me in my head. It's just like, <laughs> and again, it's like I've said time and time again, there's a lot of movies on these lists that we keep talking about that are so quotable. I'd buy that for a dollar or I like it. Can you fly, Can you Bobby? Fly, Bobby? Exactly. Can you fly, Bobby? I mean, give me my fucking phone call. I mean, it's just so chock full of one-liners and the fact that it's more than one character's time uh, like one-liners that people say and all that it's just and the fact that the movie is at the pinnacle and everything after it along the series just drops off step by step by step and then and completely loses, loses everything in its remake i mean yes. it's just it's just a tragic way that the series went um but, I think I was 13 when I watched that one, and I was way too young. Oh, yeah, I think we yeah, were way all too, too young. young when we saw this movie. I think I might have been 12 when I saw it. And yeah, it's just... I remember in art class, I took the, the movie advertisement, and we were doing the whole thing where you draw a grid on something and then transfer the grid to a much larger thing. And I yep. did the movie poster for RoboCop. And I remember going home and, and saying to my dad, can we go see RoboCop? And he, he looked at the papers like, no. <laughs> no don't ask again no so when it finally came on, on on the home theater um the local video store you know they wouldn't rent it to anyone under 18 because it was rated r and i begged my brother to rent that movie and he was like no and finally one of my friends his older brother agreed to rent it and yeah i was way too young to watch that movie yeah, okay. I, I, I loved it, but I was way too young to watch that movie. And then years later, when I was living in Montreal, I saw it was like an extended unrated version where they added storyboard panels to scenes to show. So like the scene really when, when uh, Peter Weller's on the ground and Clarence has him, he actually gets his hand shot off. They systematically cut his arm off shotgun blast by shotgun blast to prolong the torture. And they only had it in storyboards. They never filmed it. And it was just like, it just shows you how sadistic Clarence Boddicker really was. Like he just, 
you know, because it was his, it, that's the shooting hand. And he first blows off like the fingers and then the whole hand. And then he systematically just starts dismembering the arm until he gets it right to the shoulder. So that's why when you see him and they're wheeling him in, he doesn't have a right arm. It's completely gone because Clarence shot it off piece by piece. Because there's even a sequence where he has to reload while they're standing on him because he'd gone through all the shells and the shotgun shooting the arm off. And then they're like, ah, I'm, I'm done with this. Just shoot him in the head. And so, it was just like, wow. Fun fact about that scene. That scene was actually shot after the film itself was as complete as it could be. Uh, they basically went to the producers with this cut uh, and said that they didn't have enough, they didn't have enough time and the money to, to film the scene. So they, uh, the studio basically watched the, ver- what the version that they were shown and were like, well, shit, this needs, this needs that scene. Go back and make the scene. So they actually filmed that entire scene on a in a warehouse house set, completely separate. Nice, nice, nice. Um, and one thing I'll say with that one too is because I worked at Tippett Studio, Ed Two Hundred Nine was there. So I don't know how many lunch breaks I just wander into the workshop and just stare at Ed Two Hundred Nine. It's like I can't believe I'm here. Yeah, because not only was it a stop-motion animated figure, they actually had a full-size on-set representation of it as well. So, yeah, yeah, that must have been so... They had both of those in the studio. So, like, in the main office, there's the little stop-motion one, but in the big warehouse, just Ed 209 looming over everybody. I met Peter Weller in Toronto. Um, He was there promoting... It was actually an art show, because he's an art historian. Yes, uh, yes. Italian art historian. He says yeah. like his PhD. And people are asking questions about various movies. And he said, I'm just going to answer. He's like, I'm just going to give you the stock answers for the questions I know you're going to ask. He's like, yes, the Robocop suit was heavy. I lost like a lot of weight wearing that suit. No, I'd never want to put that suit on again, ever. I don't care how much they pay me. I will never put that suit on again. And then he listed off. There's a couple other movies he talked about. And he's like, all right, now let's get back to the art. And it was just such a nice little people. He knew what questions people were going to ask. And he just listed out the answers. And he's like, all right, now let's get back to why we're here. And he gave an amazing talk about, you know, the Italian art that, that he was talking about. I mean, the guy is stupidly smart. It's it's ridiculous. All righty then. So good choice there, Mr. Gavin. So we're going to be moving on to uh, Trevor next. And uh, Mr. Trevor, what's your number six? Uh, my number six came out in 1981, but I'm going to give you a brief synopsis. Um, and you, anyone who's seen this movie or not spent the you know last 50 years under a rock is instantly going to be able to tell what this movie is. So the year's 1936. An archaeology professor is venturing to the jungles of South America searching for a golden statue. Unfortunately, he sets off deadly traps and, and miraculously escapes. He hears from a museum creator about a biblical artifact that the Nazis are searching for. Now, he have left to fight his enemy, Rene Belloc, and a bunch of Nazis in order to reach it first. What movie could that be? Oh, yes, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark came out in 1981, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Lawrence Kasdan, based on a story by George Lucas and Philip Kaufman. This movie changed cinema for me. Um, at the time, it was made for 
a budget of modest $20 million, pulled in just under $400 million, adjusted to be $800 million today dollars. There is so much for this movie. So I gave you the quick synopsis. It stars Indiana, uh, Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones, the archaeology professor. Um, Karen Allen is Marion Ravenwood. Paul Freeman is Rene Belloc. John Rice Davies as Sala. And just a, an amazing cast. And there's so much supporting cast. This, this movie spawned an entire franchise. This is a modern retelling of the old like, radio serials but in a visual format, like the adventure shows, the Flash Gordons, all that stuff. The, the stuff that were the, the building blocks of George Lucas's storytelling. Um, the things, these, these things that, that inspired him. So we, you know, we got Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I was lucky enough um, convince my parents to, actually, I think my brother convinced our parents to take us to it. And my sister had no interest in it, none whatsoever. And my mom was interested enough because she liked Harrison Ford from Star Wars that they got a babysitter for. Her. And we went and saw it. And I came home and I said to my sister, boy, you missed out. Um, that movie was just, as I said, it changed how I viewed theaters. Because up until that point, I mean, mainly everything I saw was science fiction, you know, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back. This was the first non-real science fiction movie that i ever saw that i was like oh my god this this is amazing the storytelling was amazing the acting like and then the effects i did not know how they melted that man's head but i was damn sure i was going to find out how because i thought they killed a man on on film i didn't i was like how could you melt a man's like how would you, you do that how do you make a guy's head explode so i needed to find these things out um, and yeah, this movie, as I said, has spawned a franchise of films. Um, it has become firmly entrenched into our culture. Um, you know, throw me the idol, I throw you the whip. This movie is very quotable. Um, Salah, I said, no camels, you know, stuff like that. So the well of souls, the snakes, oh my God, all those snakes. It, I mean, my mom loves snakes. But even she was kind of like, mm, that's, uh, and it had, I think, was one of those, you know, iconistic scenes where Marion has been kidnapped, Indy's about to run after, and this guy comes out of the crowd with his giant sword, and he does this whole fancy sword swinging thing, and Indy just kind of gives that half sardonic smile, pulls the gun, boom, shoots the guy puts the gun back in his holster, runs away. It was such, you know, it doesn't matter how big or sharp of a sword you have. You're, you're, it, gun beats sword every time. And later in life, when I found out that whole sequence originally was supposed to be this big, long fight, but Harrison Ford was so sick that day that he just said, can I just shoot him? And they're like, sure. Um, and that the guy who was wielding the sword had trained for months for this whole sequence and instead just got to come out, swing the sword and then bam and fall down dead. Um, it was probably a big blow to his ego, but it made the Indiana Jones character that much cooler. It that worked. Yeah. It worked in the movie. It, so well. it made him, he wasn't just uh, put up his fist and start swinging. He, there was a brain in that head and he realized, you know, I got a gun. 
He's got a sword. My bullet flies faster than that blade. Who's going to win? So things like that. Now, there's been this whole thing of like Indiana Jones was not necessary for that movie for the Nazis to fail. That, you know, eventually if they did find the Ark, they were going to screw up the ceremony and they're all going to die anyway because they weren't worthy of the Ark of the Covenant. But I can see that that argument, but at the same time, Indy was kind of the, the driving force for their failure. Um, yes, he did get the arc. Yes, they recovered it. But he, his knowledge is what helped, you know, because the thing is, if the Nazis got it, no one was there. Next person comes strolling along. Hey, look, there's a nice golden chest. What's inside? And people would just keep be opening that arc left and right. And eventually, you know, it's just going to stay open and it's just hell on earth. So, yeah, there's just so much. God, there's so much to unpack about this film, but it was my love of it stemmed from seeing it with my family. Um, and when it finally came on to t- like regular broadcast TV, it was funny. It would, you know, it'd come on at like nine o'clock at night. My bedtime was like eight 30, but my dad be like, Hey Trevor, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is on at nine. I'll make up a bowl of popcorn. Sure. We watch the movie be like near midnight, go to bed, go to school the next morning. Don't care. Got to watch Raiders with my family and it became a thing um, right up and th- up until the point where my brother left for college. Anytime Raiders was on, we'd watch it. And when I was making this list, it, it really, that movie spoke to me. It was one of the, the first movies I wrote down because it's a movie. Now I, when, when it comes on TNT or any other channel, if I'm flipping through the channels, Oh, look, Raiders, Remote gets pushed pushed to the side. I'll watch. Doesn't matter where it is in the film. I'll watch it to the end because it has such a connection to me, and that's why this film is in my top ten and it's sitting in the number six spot. Yeah, no, I'll definitely have to agree with you on that one, Trevor. Yeah, it definitely is a family thing for me as well. Um, and I know, like, what you were going through, yeah what you were just saying and all that. Yeah. A lot of it. I have the same feelings towards this movie and all that. So, yeah. And for myself, yeah, this is definitely high on my list. <clears throat> and one thing that's interesting about this one is it's so much more hardcore and primal than the sequels were. Like, yeah. how did you feel about the following two, Trevor? Um, the <laughs> following Temple two. Of, <laughs> Temple of Doom was... Oh, I guess there was an extra one. I blocked it was number. lighter fair. I was, I, I mean, I'll watch Temple of Doom. There's, there's plenty of, you know, Kate Capshaw. I really, oh God, you know. Yeah. No, understandable. Uh, yeah. Um, but short round, I would love to see short round mm-hmm. show up again. Hopefully, he comes up in in number five. Um, I or maybe in the Goonies the, TV series. Yeah, I liked The Last Crusade. It's not as strong as a film as. Uh, Indiana Jones, just because the third act, the last crusade kind of falls to pieces. Um, but I mean, you got Sean Connery in there. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a huge yeah, selling exactly. point. Yeah, yeah. If I had to rank the films, it would go one, three, two, unmentionable, and hopefully five can take the unmentionable spot, you know, maybe move it up those, maybe it'll go one, three, five, two, unmentionable. Um, Cause they're not damn dimensional beings. What a piece of, and what the fuck with the fridge? Um, so yeah, so that's, that's, 
And and I'm not even talking about LaBeouf because that's just will get me irrationally angry. So yeah, this is of all the Indiana Jones films, this is the one that guaranteed I will stop and watch it the rest of the way through. And again, and like, if I'm like, running from you and you need to stop me in my tracks, just throw a phone ahead of me that's playing any of that, like raise the lost raise Ark, the lost Ark. Yeah. and watch and you can catch me. Like a vampire, right? No regrets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And again, another movie that is so quotable. You can, in a crowded room, yell at a line and you know someone is a fan when they have the response or yeah. whatever it is to it. And it, again, it's just so... Thanks. <clears throat> Why did it have to be snakes? Exactly. Yeah, Asks. yeah, yeah. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. You go first. Yeah. Back when we went to Universal, the same time I met Jessica Rabbit, there was the live Indiana Jones performance. Oh my God, that, that was phenomenal. So spectacular. This, it's the, the, got the plane Jones going. And Indiana Jones stunt oh, show. Yeah. Absolutely that is so incredible. good. Oh, that is so good. And which is currently the longest running, uh, ex, uh, 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 currently running staged performance at Universal Studios or I guess Hollywood Studios or whatever it is yeah. they call it at Disney and all that. So yeah, I can see so why because it was yeah. absolutely yeah. amazing. Fantastic. Yeah, exactly. All right. So moving on from that, um, I'm going to be uh, telling everyone what my number six is. And uh, no, Troy, what's your number six? What's my number six? Well, thank you for asking, Mr. Brown. Um, so mine is uh, going to be uh, stating some facts. Uh, my movie is 136 minutes long. Its budget was uh, estimated between 170 uh, million and 177 million dollars. It came in with a full box office total of uh, seven uh, 714 million dollars. Uh, it was actually uh, number seven in the top ten movies for the movie the year it was released, which was uh, 2014. This is the uh, most recent movie. Uh, this is the most recent movie in my list. Everything else is well before this and all that because movies just a part of my life growing up. But this movie was so impactful when I saw it, it cracked its way into my top 10 to my number six. And while it's already been discussed, it is Captain America, the Winter Soldier. It is actually the only MCU movie to be on my top 10 list. It is... Um, just, just to put that out there, this is the only MC, MCU movie that is on my list. Um, yeah, so Michael brought it up uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago. Well, actually, a little more than a couple of weeks ago. But um, yeah, so this is um, a movie that it, it, it's a sequel, first of all, to Captain America, the, the, first, the first Avenger, where we have an origin story of a character. Now, every new character that's being introduced to the viewing audience has to have this sort of, sort of thing. So it goes through the tropes that it does. And you know what? First Avenger is a great first movie for this particular character. This as a follow-up is perfect. This is basically... Now I'm using this analogy a little differently than I normally would being who I am, but it is the Empire Strikes Back to Star Wars. Um, well, my own personal feelings is the other way around to the general public. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Empire is a stronger movie than Star Wars to the general public. And that's where this fills in. So um, it's the ninth movie, first of all, in the actual MCU. It's only number nine out of friggin. What are they on right now? What is what is this? 27, 20, 
that's... something like that. I don't know, but yeah. So that's the ninth movie in the uh, MCU. Um, again, filmed uh, by uh, Anthony and Joe Russo, the the brothers coming together, working together from again another strong screenplay written by um, uh, Marcus and McFeely. Uh, it's it's just fantastic, uh, and the cast is great. Um, we're Got your typicals. We got your your regulars. We got your uh, Chris Evans. We got your Scarlett Johansson. We got your Sebastian Stan, which is reintroduced as this new character um, of the Winter Soldier. Uh, we're introduced to Anthony Mackie as uh, Falcon, which is Sam is a fantastic and an introduction to this character. The way that he is is fantastic. And then we got your um, we got your Colby Smothers. We got your Samuel Jacksons. Um, we have a heart-wrenching uh, uh, Haley Atwell uh, cameo, and we have Robert Redford. Robert Redford is in the MCU, people. I mean, this is just so uh, amazing. It's just, just, just so fantastic. I mean, I mean, we, we've talked about the movie before. Uh, we've talked about it several times, actually, on this podcast. It was part of our, uh, basically, our box office showdown what we had it was it was lower down on the list just because it wasn't at the time when movies started making a billion dollars and all that but it was still had a very strong showing uh we talked a lot about then uh, michael talked quite into deep depths of what this movie was when uh, he talked about it so i'm going to skip over what it is if you want to know if you don't know or haven't seen captain america winter soldier you're not a fan of the MCU because it is probably one of the, as a singular movie, it is probably one of the strongest written stories with the most well acted performances from the characters that were still working on being who they are. I think this is the movie that melded some of our characters into who they would eventually complete. Like Steve Rogers doesn't have much more development beyond this point. I think he he becomes a, I mean, yes, they do still evolve and all that. Every character still has to evolve. If a character in a 27 series stops at number nine and doesn't evolve any further, you're not doing a good acting job or a good writing job. But you're right. Become, he does. He's adapts to the time. Yeah, and exactly. Everything else is just adapting to circumstances. Exactly, like, exactly. He becomes yeah. who he is going to be from this point on. He is finally caught up with himself. We learn a little more about uh, Black Widow, uh, and we're introduced to the Falcon, and we we're given all the conspiracy, and we're introduced to the uh, storyline of a returning lost, what was thought to be a lost friend, and we are given this fantastic patsy of a bad guy um of the winter soldier and sebastian stan just does a phenomenal job of this role uh playing the basically the lost boy trying to regain he's basically freaking robocop he is the modern day robocop thank you gavin for having that as your movie because it didn't occur to me now Winter Soldier is RoboCop, but just so cool, so much cooler. He can hell, he can move a hell of a lot better than RoboCop could. Uh, but um, yeah, so I saw this movie 
at uh, at a perfect time because it, I was deep into the lore of the MCU. Um, I'd watch every single movie in the theater, uh, had the DVDs of everything, watched them several times over. This movie caught me because I became so enthralled by it. It had so much to give and I took in so much. I mean, it's just a fantastic movie to watch. And again, I don't have much more to say about this movie other than the fact that I believe so far certain movies withstanding that have not been discussed yet. Um, this is my favorite of the MC movies, MCU movies. And again, if you were to look at my top 20, my top, my top 20, there are a lot of MCU movies in that top 20, but none that, again, this was like how Trevor had done his list, how he talked about it, how he had this 40 and he kept, he would eliminate one and movie would keep moving up and up and up and up. And this one just got to this point where it's like, no, this is where this stays. This, I don't think anything that I can compare to it from what it comes from matches it. Yes, it's emotional. Yes, it's very um, uplifting. It's very, let's go good guys. Let's go like, it's, it's all moments where you have moments where you stand up and cheer. And the only reason why other movies that have that same thing that I've talked about, like your end games and all that sort of thing, those stand up and cheer moments happen first in, for me at least, in Winter Soldier. And that's why it's that high on my list. And again, I don't need to go into explanation of the movie itself. It's just all I can talk about now is how it impacted me. And that's what it was. It's just something that I really enjoyed because of how well written it is, how well acted it is, how beautifully directed it is, how... And again, it's a singular movie. You can take this out and watch this by itself. You don't need to watch movies that are before or before, after it. Everything you need is in this one movie. And that's what makes a great movie. Watching the whole entire MCU, yes, you do have to watch Winter Soldier to get to the end game sort of thing. You need to have Winter Soldier in there. There are other stories that you can take out and all that. But this, as a singular movie in the MCU is the standout movie for me. And that's why it's my number six. All right. I'm going to do a little impromptu box office showdown. We currently have Endgame as a reigning champion. Captain America Winter Soldier versus Endgame. What's your votes? Gavin? It's impromptu, so uh, I mean, we got to talk through this a little bit. Fuck. I mean, yeah. Just go with your gut instinct here, or ask the cat. Hey, get after oh, they're pooping in a box. Um, <laughs> oh, that's a horrible answer. <laughs> Which one was it taking a shit on? <laughs> you don't want to know. Okay, Trevor, you um, go. You go. <laughs> let let Gavin think this up for a little bit. All right. All right. Um. If I had to compare the two, Winter Soldier. 
I vote Winter Soldier since it's in my top 10. Yeah. Troy? Yeah, I mean, again, like like I said, it's in my, my top 10. I mean, I really enjoyed Endgame. Endgame was a spectacular movie. It was a movie that you didn't know was possible until you sat down in the theater and watched that movie. Yeah, it was an you absolute did not event. Expect it. Yeah, it's, it was an event movie. But it relied so much on everything prior to it to be the movie that it is. And that's Endgame why it had a couple of sequences that they could have just as easily snipped out. Yep. Yeah. Um, oh no, for it sure. just had for, it sure. had for a movie that long, they had dead sequences that they editing wise, they could have just removed and the yep. movie still would have been great. Winter Soldier, every frame of that film was necessary. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Every frame. That's a big way uh, I it, rank these things too, is mm-hmm. if there's nothing I want to change. Yeah, that gets bumped up on the list. If there's things that I would do different, that immediately bumps it down. And that's another reason why a lot of the MCU movies didn't make it into my top 10. Because there was like, okay, that was, I mean, I love the Avengers. There's mm-hmm. there's so much more that could have been. And also you look on hindsight. Um, you have to look at it like, like what we now know that they can do in the MCU. We know that, oh, we could have altered this and all that and all that. I mean, dude, just look at what the, the Disney Plus series Loki did to Avengers. I mean, that alone was enough to like figure, oh, that could have been different. That could have been right. whatnot. So, I mean, yeah. But yeah, no, definitely Winter Soldier is on that list because again, like I said, it's a singular movie. It stands out on its own. You can put it on, you could give that movie to anyone and they wouldn't know anything about any of the characters. You don't need to because all you need to know about the characters is given to you. And like like I said, the characters you're introduced to are a beautiful introduction to the characters. Like you get the background of what Bucky was before he became the Winter Soldier from Steve Rogers talking about him. And walking through the Smithsonian. Yeah, the Smithsonian sequence and all that. Yeah. And so there. Yeah. What do you got, Gavin? It's your turn. Uh well. If I have to, I have to pin it down and decide on the spot. I mean, that elevator scene was pretty fucking epic. Yeah, yeah, that was that. You do not, you don't see that. You haven't seen that sort of thing in any other movie. Like friggin' Rogers taking on fourteen some odd guys in a small area and all that, and it's so beautifully choreographed that it's believable. And I the mean, lead up to it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Just it's, the little subtle, de- so the subtle things like, you know, seeing the one guy like, you know, but beat of sweat is trickling down his, his neck. You know, he's, he knows something's off and, you know, just, you know, before we get started, does anyone want to get off? Yeah. And it's so matter of fact, and the, the thing is, is prior to this, you know, leading up to the Winter Soldier, you know, we know Captain America can fight, but it's, but most of the fighting has always been that, you know, that, uh, a fist for justice kind of punching kind of that sort of thing. And in that, you know, even then the, the first Avenger, I mean, you know, it was, it was like just massive, like, like tank crushing hits kind of thing. This was the first time you see him showing how good of a fighter he, he is. And yeah, that, that was such a great scene. And I mean, the whole, the whole thing was just really like, like you said, Mike, there uh, there was just not a scene that was out of place. Yeah. 
All right, so we're going to move on to Mr. Mike. And Mr. Mike, this is going to be your number six. Well, before I get started, I just want to say that it's been interesting seeing certain themes develop during these top tens and certain things that keep reoccurring. You know, how Trevor has two Coen Brothers films. You know, I've got two films. I have two that have Samuel L. Jackson in it, right? True Romance and Captain America, Winter Soldier. And I have two with Brad Pitt and True Romance and Fight Club. And I have a back-to-back director on this one. So this movie was released in 1985, a little movie directed by Robert Zemeckis. And that movie's called Back to the Future. And this is a movie I saw, summer movie with my family at the cottage. And I was only, I guess, 10 years old at the time. So I was the same age that my youngest son is right now. And that movie just blew me away. There's something about the science fiction elements of it, the time travel elements of it, and the family dynamics and all the weird things. Great actors. So interesting backstory on this one. So one of the writers, Bob Gale, was co-written with Robert Zemeckis. And he based this movie because he was looking through an old high school yearbook with his father. So he was at his parents' house, came across this high school yearbook and saw his father when he was 17 years old and was wondering, I wonder if I could be friends with my father when he was the same age as I was. And that sparked a story, which is basically a high school kid gets sent back in time. He meets his parents, his mother falls in love with him. And that ended up getting fleshed out to the entire screenplay. And an interesting thing with that is up at the cottage, which is where we left to go see the movie. Currently, we have two photos on the wall. One was taken when I was 15 years old. So it's the whole family, me, my parents, brothers, uncles, sitting on the wall. We just happened to take one 25 years later. And that's sitting up beside it. And I noticed that in that picture, there's an entire generation shift. So the me in the newest picture, I'm the same age as my father was in the first one. My eldest daughter, Annika, is the same age as I was in the first one. My father is the same age as my grandfather was. And it's amazing to look at. And so I understand what basically would bring about a movie like this. It's just a fascinating concept to think how you could jump through time like that. And another thing about this movie is it's one that gets better with age. Unlike the sequels that don't quite hold up over time, this one, it still holds up. Like you can go into the 1985 and it brings back all the nostalgia. You go back to the 1955 and you get to see what your parents, grandparents era was like. And it's kind of neat to watch it with the family now because for the family, it's like you're traveling back two generations. So it's a great movie to watch with the kids. And it's like insight into everything that came before. Uh, this movie is one that I think is one of the most watertight scripts of all time. Every single moment in this movie has a purpose. There's foreshadowing right from the start. That opening sequence through the dog's lab. 
that tells you the entire story in a single pan is phenomenal filmmaking. The soundtrack, one of the greatest soundtracks of all time. And because of Back to the Future, when I first got my Sony Walkman, it was Huey Lewis Sports was the first album I bought. So I'd be traveling around Milton delivering newspapers, just listening to Huey Lewis. So yeah, there's a whole lot of nostalgia coming from this movie. And then the actual score of the movie, the music by Alan Silvestri is absolutely classic. And it's interesting that Spielberg apparently wasn't too sure if he was the right choice for music for this movie until he heard it. It's like, oh yeah, that's it. Let's just go with that. Um, when you get into the casting of this movie, like I don't think you could have cast it better than what they have in this movie. And it's neat that Eric Stoltz was originally Marty McFly. And like you can't picture it after living with this movie for, for so long, thinking of anybody other than Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly. And it's neat now because you can actually see side-by-side -side comparisons of what the movie was originally like during the first, what, six weeks of filming before they realized, oh, we made a terrible decision. Um, let's see if that, uh, you know, Michael J. Fox character is available. Maybe we can wrestle him away from family ties. And another neat thing about watching the old footage with the new footage that they had to reshoot, even the costume changes. And that's one thing with the costume design. And Troy, you know all about this because I've seen you cosplay this. The iconic look of Michael J. Fox in this movie is amazing. Like you just look at that big puffy vest and the denim outfit. But if you look at the Eric Stoltz, he's wearing like all black and it just feels dead. And the acting seems dead. And this is an interesting case where the directors had a vision in their mind and they realized, no, this isn't it. Let's double back, we'll regroup, we'll try and fix it. And the choice they made was brilliant. What else have I got to say about this? <laughs> so uh, it's interesting hearing all, oh, Gavin's got a box set. <laughs> so the fact that originally it was supposed to be like a refrigerator for the time machine. And again, after watching this movie, you can't picture anything other than a time traveling DeLorean. But the fact that you turned a DeLorean into a time machine is phenomenal. <laughs> Even make a transformer out of it as Gavin's showing. If you want to see the transformer, tune into the video version of Geeking Off the Page. Another fun thing with the script is apparently Einstein was supposed to be a chimp, but the head of the studio said no money with a chimp ever made any money, so they had to turn it into a dog. But I think, again, it was the right choice. Like seeing Einstein in the DeLorean being the first time traveler is amazing. The whole thing with the plutonium and the terrorists and Doc dying, like it just keeps going on and on. The moment we see the DeLorean travel through time where you're in the car and you run over the pine and then at the end you see that the twin pines is now the lone pines amazing and i mean i could keep going about this all night but the moment he meets his parents the moment he wrecks their relationship the moment he's in the house with his mom 
And this is a classic moment. Was, wow, your mom is hot. But then the mother falls in love with him and it's all the psychological aspects of it. And then meeting up with Doc and his failed experiments, the mind reading machine that obviously doesn't work. But then again, the setup in the story with the flux capacitor, he's got the bruise on his head and everything comes together there. When he's trying to convince his father to go ask his mother out on a date and he has to dress up in the plutonium suit and play Eddie Van Halen, say he's Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan, the skateboarding sequence, the under the sea dance, it just keeps going on and on. Biff Tanner is one of the greatest villains of all movie history. And the end sequence with trying to get the lightning into the DeLorean. I watched this one again recently. And the amount of drama they were able to create in this sequence, like it should be just a matter of drive the car down the road, hit the lightning, done. But it's just obstacle after obstacle with the tree branch and the cord coming out and clanging up to the clock tower to the point where he's hanging off the hands on the clock, which ties into the opening shot with the little dude hanging on the watch or the clock that's in the doc's lab. And finally, when he gets back to 1985, we have one of the greatest endings of any movie ever, where you think it's all done. And sure enough, Doc Brown shows up and they have to go back to the future. Like It just keeps going on and on throughout this entire movie. So, yeah, I could go on forever about this, but that's why Back to the Future is easily in my number six top 10 movies of all time. Good choice, Michael. Good choice. Good choice. Yes. Um, uh, it's, it's funny you mentioned the, uh, the how, how epic the, uh, the score was. Uh, when uh, a few months ago, we, uh, Amanda and I watched uh, the Back to the Future performed by the Vancouver Sym- uh, Symphonic Orchestra. And basically, they they, they scrubbed out the, the the soundtrack from the or the, the score from the movie itself, and then performed the the, the score live. And, wow! Oh, it was it was just incredible. Just hearing hearing like every every like subtle nuance of the of that, like every instrument just chiming in at the right moment. Like these people were people were consummate professionals at basically getting this music to match with what's on screen. And I, I was, I got so lost in the movie again that I, I was barely registering that the music was, was live. That that's how good the score is. Oh yeah. You hear that you're immediately transported into the movie. Yeah. Those opening opening twinkling notes at the very beginning of the movie, you know, you're watching back to the future. Like before yeah. anything appears on screen. You hear that twinkling little couple of notes and yeah, it's what makes, yeah. Yeah. Now, Kevin, was that like the full movie was played out or was it scenes for the movie? Yeah. The, the, full the, movie. the full movie. Ah. Uh, there was a, there was an intermission point, but basically the, just everything was, was, was live. Uh, obviously the dialogue and the, and the like was basically just was left in the movie, but uh, it was, it just, it, it, I, I felt like I was that kid in the theater again, watching the movie. And everyone in that theater was uh, was wearing uh, uh, or was was wearing their fandom on their sleeve. A uh, few people were in you know the the Marty McFly uh, life preserver vest. Even the conductor comes out basically wearing the uh, the, the the vest. 
Nice, nice. That's yeah. cool. That's and cool. Christopher yeah. Lloyd, he's so good in this movie, just as being the crackpot scientist. And oh, the expressions, like, his facial expressions. Yeah. Damn. Damn. Oh, damn. Oh. Great stuff. And again, like I've stated before in this particular Very episode, quotable. so quotable. I mean, you cannot help it. And again. It's a movie that I have on my phone that I can bring up at any moment. I mean, yeah. All right, then. So that being said, <clears throat> we're going to be wrapping up this particular episode. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in and uh, listening in or watching in, depending on how you're consuming this particular medium. And uh, we want to thank you for, like I said, joining us and be sure to uh, join us here each week, my friends. You're sure to get a smile. I don't want to go into that song again yet again um so we're just gonna do on the count of three our collective advice and uh, we'll see you uh next time same bat time same spider channel and on three two one collective, collective goodbye, goodbye. Hey, only took us 30 episodes to get that good exactly yeah and this is good i it's a good thing we're ending <laughs> because my voice is now starting to drop out on me i can feel it dropping down in my throat. All right. You have just been listening to Geeking Off the Page with your hosts, Mike Kitchen, Gavin Burbage, Trevor Brown, and Troy Bowman. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Also, if you could leave us a rating and comment, that would assist in allowing others to find this podcast more easily. You can follow the podcast on the following social platforms. Instagram and Twitter, search for at PlanetGeekPod, all one word. On Facebook, search for Planet Geek Productions. Or you can send us an email to PlanetGeekPod at gmail.com. Buy the guys a coffee by going to Kofi, K-O-F-I, dot com slash planetgeekpod and know that any and all donations will go towards improving all current and future Planet Geek Productions programs. Thank you for listening.